we talk a lot about nationwide, but their training on the back end, if people haven't seen it, is top notch. I mean, just the way they go about it. So, and by the way, hi, Mr. Quinn. I can't see you right now. How you doing? Yeah, I'm fine, and um, I'm glad you can't see me because I'm um, topless, actually. I had a feeling that when we were not in the same place at the same time, you tended to go topless. Well, I just came in from the pool and uh, decided that a podcast was a great idea, so here we are. And I'm not topless. I, I hate to... You know, I, I need to set that straight. It's not that at all. Uh, I'm good. Have to give people we're some bleach clothed. for their minds. Some, we're gonna have to bleach their minds real quick. <laughs> These poor people. I'm fully clothed. Uh, anyway, you should, yeah, you should have been like speaking of training. Speaking, I'm of doing training. a different well, type of training. Can I just tell you, like the thought process? I was like, okay, as you, you might expect, you're saying you, you can't see me, so it was either pantsless or topless, and I picked topless. So uh, everyone should be very happy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we talk um, a lot about people shopping online in their underwear. So exactly my you point. Just have, you just happen to be doing a Costanza. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no. But you're right, though. The, the training thing, Kinsley. When I first came out of college, my first job was training, um, sales training, and I am so passionate about that because um, I think it's so critically important. It's such a big part of the process of being successful with the consumer. And, you know, with the cool thing about Nationwide's training platform is you're not getting like the local rep on whatever line you're selling to come in and train. You're getting the top guy, their top trainer in the country um, on video, like really bringing you some knowledge. And then what's even better than that is after you watch it, you like build up points and you get a gift card from it. So they kind of like incentivize you to learn. So I think it's just incredible what they do there. And I also, and we've talked about this in the past, but there are ways that retailers can take those programs and tailor them to their needs. And, you know, we've talked about this over the years. We've developed training programs attached to the idea of we want to help you sell better sleep. And we want you to attach the better sleep message to the products that we sell in the industry because we didn't want to disrupt the retail message in terms of training. We didn't want to um, do anything to kind of screw up all the training planning they put into place for their for their RSAs. So we wanted to do something that was kind of an umbrella training. And so one of the biggest things we talked about over the years was it would be really cool if you could take a retailer and you could have them tailor it to their needs and have really good training materials. And that's what the nationwide platform does. So if you haven't you know, experienced that yourself or if you're not using or if you're a member, or if you're not a member, definitely check it out because that's the name of the game in retail these days. You're all, you know, I mean, we know that there are high churn rates in certain cases. You're having to train people. You're going to have to refresh and sharpen the saw for the people you have. And when you have new folks coming into the fold, you got to get them up to speed. So training really is the name of the game in so many ways. So two quick questions before we bounce out of this one. How important is it that your people are knowledgeable about the stuff that you sell, number one? And number two, do you have your own database of e-learning that you can give your people to educate themselves? And so if you believe that it's important and you don't have that, how big is Nationwide? That's a question you got to ask yourself. Check it out. Uh, what's our URL here? I always screw it up. Nationwidegroup.org. Nationwidegroup.org. Let's look at your tattoo. It's right there on your arm. Oh, there it is. Never mind. I got gotcha. you.
Dos Marcos Podcast. It's the greatest mattress industry podcast on the planet. Wait, isn't this the only mattress industry podcast? He's Mark Kensley. I truly felt bad for you at the time. He's Mark Quinn. I think Bigfoot was actually very pleasant. Together, they are Dos Marcos. So I'm sitting here, and there are two paintings that I completed right in front of me at this very moment. I started doing some painting, and actually a third that's underway. You started painting? Just for fun. Really? Just for fun. Your living room or portraits, landscapes, abstracts? Portraits. I I have a portrait wall in my house, and I kept trying to find other portrait art that I could put on it. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to do some myself because I haven't found any portrait art that I'm really connecting with. It, but here, I, I did this for a reason. Can, I, can I just say something? I don't know that I've like looked at portrait art and really connected with portrait art. So I'm, I'm really impressed that you find that interesting. That's like pretty cool. Like most of the pictures in my house have something to do with animals. I mean, I have some stuff from Robin Cook. Um, right. You know, Robin is an amazing pencil artist from Leggett, and she just has done some really incredible work. So I have some of that. But then I thought, you know what? I need to balance out some of the the cows and the pigs and the 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 steer and the horses and some dog stuff with like people art, like portrait art. And so it was really in my mind a way to kind of balance things out. And I I found some really cool portraits, like you know faces. And so I've got that wall going on. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to try my hand at this. And it was really because I was inspired by a friend of mine. We went over to our friend's house. Her name's Stacy. And she's incredibly intelligent. And she was just painting away. And I'm like, have you been painting for long? Because these are incredible. And she's like, no, I just started it. It's kind of, it's kind of therapeutic for me. And I'm like, that looks like a really good time. But I, took, I, I did something that used, I used to be my own worst enemy at this. I would look at something and just get overwhelmed and be like, oh, I'm going to suck. It's going to be terrible. Why would I even do that? But what I did is I bought a cheap acrylic paint set. And then I bought 10 canvases that were like 8 by 10s And I thought, nothing matters until I get to the end of number 10. Nothing matters. And so it, it goes back to something we talked about on the podcast before. And so I'm trying to like, you know, eat our own cooking. And what we had talked about before was there was a class that they put together and it was basically separated into two groups. And group number one was told your grade for this class, and it was a pottery class. You get your hands on the clay and you make dishes and all kinds of stuff. So the pottery class in group A said your grade is based on volume of work, as many pieces of pottery as you can possibly create just create them like it's like the weight at the end of it whoever has the most weight on the scale is gonna like get a good grade group two separately was told your grade is based on the best piece of pottery that you can create at the end of the semester so that group went out and they did a bunch of research and they were looking into things and studying design and studying aesthetic and studying some of the best pieces of work in pottery and history. And then they worked on this like one very you know key piece. And so at the end of the this, it was a separate experiment, and they had experts in pottery judge which group had the better work. And over and above, overwhelmingly, like a landslide victory went to the group 
that was judged based on volume of work, based on the weight. And so it was getting their hands in the clay, trying things, doing it, doing it differently, screwing up, messing up, clay pots falling apart, the kiln probably not drying it properly. That's the group that won. And so that was my mentality going into it. And I'm like, I'm just going to do a bunch of these paintings, have fun along the way, but nothing matters until you get volume of work out there. And how are you feeling about it? Like, first of all, who, who are you painting? Is it Tara? Are you having her sit there? No. Okay. Here's the other constraint I put on myself just for fun. I can't look at the internet or any other pictures for inspiration. It's completely out of my imagination. Wow. And so my, and so really what I, can I ask you, can I ask you a question? Yeah. How does it go over when you paint this like beautiful woman on your canvas and it's not your wife? And then she says, so who is that? And you go, I just made her up. Like, how does that go over? You really have been using your imagination because I have not done that. <laughs> I'm just trying to, like, I'm, just, I'm sitting here thinking, you, you know, she's like, oh, so is this who you want to be married to, Mark? Or is this your dream girl? And all of a sudden, you know, you know, like, I'm just wondering, how does that sound? Well, it, I I would not know. Uh, I'll let you know if it does happen. I, it's funny, though, you say that because so far I've just painted, uh, I mean, I guess they look like men. Um, like one is like a person's eyes, like all up in, in your face. It's very confrontational Ooh. and the other is super weird, but I call it man child. And it's wow. about the transition from boyhood to manhood and how, how abrupt that can be. It's very artistic as you can see. Yeah. I love that. Well, you have to share that. I, I, I don't know. Some people don't like to share their art, but I would love to see it if you're willing to show me, but uh, I can tell you that's some cooking I'm not going to be eating that we've cooked up. I'm I just I am absolutely horrible at that. I might do some pottery. I might be down for that. Um, with your shirt off. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking ghost. <laughs> you know so was I. <laughs> okay. No, man, I don't know. Well, good for you, first of all. I think that's really cool you're exploring it. So, um, yeah, well done. Well, and, and it's just for fun. I mean, genuinely for me, I was like, ah, I just want to like – do something different. You know, I play music and stuff like that. I was like, I just want something different. But it really helped me. And I, and I think that there's a definite business principle here. When you think, I'm not going to judge this at all. I'm just going to, nothing matters until I do the 100th piece of work. And it really puts you in a position of relaxation. I mean, you don't have to worry about it too much. And um, so think about that in terms of business. Like nothing matters until I try to sell my 100th mattress. Until I do that, I'm not even going to judge my style. I'm just going to get out there and hustle and do it. Here's the problem with your whole premise here. We've got over 130 podcast episodes now, so we really have to start judging ourselves, don't we? Well, but take, hey, let's be fair to us. We did not do anything with sponsorships until the 100th episode. We did it just because we were working on that craft. Okay, so you're saying we weren't really legit until then. Yeah, I think right. so. I mean, so you, you were, you have always been legit, man. <laughs> That's not true. All right. So we got 70 more podcasts to get it right. That's what you're saying. There we go. I like that one. And, and right. Hey, you know what? Here we are. This is actually the first time that we've done a podcast in, I would say at least like 40 podcasts where we haven't been in the same room at the same time. I know. So we're, we're stretching ourselves here even. We are. We're learning every day. So every we have day. a lot to talk about today. It's yeah. You had a trip. You had a trip. Exciting stuff. I did. I did. Have you ever been to Savannah, Georgia? It, it's a, it's on my list. Charleston, uh, Savannah, Georgia, places in that 
in that area, uh, I haven't spent any time. I haven't spent much time in the Pacific Northwest. Those are two areas I want to go. You were in Savannah then. Yeah. So knowing you like I do, um, you will love, I'm going to text you a picture since we're not in the same room right now and give you a little peek. Do you know the, the, what do they call them? Um, mossy oaks, right? So the beautiful trees with the, I don't know, I guess it's moss hanging from the, the limbs. Um, those mossy oaks are everywhere. The architecture is beautiful. The people are wonderful. And they just get that good old Southern kind of approach to life. Anyway, so that's where I was in Savannah. There's a big uh, river there splitting the city. And I was there for Badcock. Did you get that picture yet? I got it. That's really cool. Those are the mossy oaks. Yeah, yeah. So that was under a street lamp. It was really beautiful. But um, so anyway, we um, we went down. There's a Badcock meeting. And so are you familiar? How familiar are you with Badcock Furniture? I'm familiar with the name. I haven't spent any time in the retail locations and I know some past employees, but but that's it. So so these guys were um, founded in 1904 by a guy named Harry Stanhope Badcock. How about that for a name? Harry Stanhope Badcock. What a great name. Yeah, that sounds it sounds British. Oh, no, he sounds uh, distinguished. I would like to have known that guy. But anyway, so back in 1904, and they've grown Kinsley into one of the largest privately held furniture companies in the country. And they have over 350 stores. And part of their model, it, primarily in the south, right, the southeast, they're kind of coming up into Virginia now. Um, but part of their model is a lot of it is corporately owned. But then they've started doing franchises, I, I guess, some time ago. Um, but people are buying franchises in these different markets, and some guys have one store, some have a couple, some have 10, 11. But I'm going to tell you something. These people are salt of the earth, um, multi-generational families, many of them, and just could not be – I don't know. I mean I, they, we had this big convention center, and all the suppliers were in there, and I didn't know what to expect. And they're launching this new private label program called Stanhope, which was, of course, Harry's middle name. Uh, and it's all higher and stuff and I love what they're doing with it. And, um, saw the pure care guys there, actually, they were there. Um, and just a lot of the suppliers that were doing a version of Stanhope or just selling to Badcock people in general, and just a ton of people there all traveling the convention center, looking at all the new products and just checking it out. And I met some of the coolest people and I could not have had more fun. And the people that own these stores, I'm telling you. Um, just super, super nice people. And they're just trying to, you know, be an entrepreneur in these, in these markets. And a lot of them aren't like, you're not talking about like Atlanta, Georgia, you're talking about some of these Ocala and Kissimmee and some of these smaller markets, but they're just unreal and just really, what a great experience. So tell me about the setup there. So was it a convention type setup where you have different vendors out in an expo hall where there are people on stage giving speeches. What was the, what was the, yeah, so the overview? I'm going to tell you, um, they had a keynote and his name was David Salyers and he was a, um, he actually, he was an employee of Chick-fil-A. He spent 37 years there. Uh, one of the longest, uh, standing employees in the marketing side. So I'm going to tell you about his, his speech, but, um, no, so that was just the, that was day two. Day one, though, was just kind of everyone in the convention hall. Um, everyone had a certain amount of space and you could just show your new products. And then all these people came in from all the different markets and they're just all walking around with their badges on and they just want to learn. So what's the new product you bring into market? 
um, they want to get some information on it and uh, just kind of learn about, you know, what's coming, essentially. And so that's where I got to, to meet everyone. I was there on behalf of Sherwood. So myself, Mark Chase, um, Tim Reisinger was there, as a matter of fact. And then we had um, one of the guys, uh, not Greg Meyer, um, uh, Joel Lahaki, who's the, the key person for the Sherwood team. Fantastic guy. And then Tim Fleming, uh, his right-hand guy. Um, also with Sherwood, and Sherwood is the betting group that um, put together their mattress program for Stanhope. And so those guys asked me to come out and help present and share the Stanhope mattress story. So that's why I was there. And uh, anyway, they just blew me away. Um, Lahaki and Fleming made those two guys. They're on it. And um, they just did a terrific job. The product was gorgeous and beautiful and built tons of value with microcoils and latex and vertical stitch borders and hand tufting. And uh, anyway, the Badcock people responded really well to it. And then, of course, you do that. Um, Kim Brooks is the the head person there on the merchant side for Badcock. And so she helped actually develop the product. Uh, and then the big boss there on the merchant side is Greg Meyer. And have you met Greg Meyer? Do you recall? He's been at a lot of the Magowitz things. We probably crossed paths, but I, yeah, I can't remember right offhand. Um, name, yeah. Name's familiar, of course, in the industry. Yeah, so Greg is just this incredible guy. Um, and he started out as, as the mattress merchant, Mark Chase, actually, which or what used to be the mattress merchant. But now Greg is just an amazing guy, totally gets it, very positive person. Um, just, I, I don't know, he, he kind of believes in things the way that we do. Um, he's a perfect fit for Badcock, those guys. And then Kim, his betting merchant, um, oh my gosh, just as sweet as you can, she can be. And, you, you know, just one of those people that you want to just give a hug every time you see her. And uh, she had her hand in the product development and, and she killed it. Um, they did a terrific job. So anyway, that's why I got to be there. But it was a I don't know, man, I, I, I feel sometimes I just feel stupid because these guys are there and they're so big. And I feel a little like they're this hidden gem that maybe they don't get as much credit as they should. Um, and, you know, there's like, you know, everyone's walking around and there's these executives there and. You know, I'm talking to one of them and then they I, they leave me and go away. And then someone on the Sherwood team's like, you know who that was, right? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't know any of these guys. And they're like, yeah, that's like the CEO. And it happened to be Rob Burnett, who is their president. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I mean, he's just unassuming and um, I don't know, just as kind as everyone else. But, you know, the leader of that group. Then later I got to see him on stage and presenting like the Badcock Dream. Kinsley, one of the really cool things they did, talk about, you know, we, we talk a lot about knowing who you are. They did this whole video series where a lot of their executive team talked about the Southern way because that's a lot of their culture. So what is the Southern way? It's, you know, fried chicken after church on Sunday. It's greeting someone at the door of our store and then taking them to the door and saying goodbye to them as they leave. It's treating every single person like they're part of your family. So they just go through this whole thing about what the Southern way is, which translated is, this is our culture. This is, this is who we are. And, um, and I'm going to tell you that culture lives to be true from the top all the way down to the bottom in that organization. And it was just awesome to be around. What a fun experience. And, and like you said, a hidden gem uh, in the industry. And I think, you know, if you're participating in the industry and you're going to as many events as you can, there's kind of a circuit you end up on. And there are some significant 
events with, I mean, really like big waves of activity happening that you just, I mean, it's a big industry. And I'm always reminded of that when we end up, at, you know, at a nationwide event or something that it maybe isn't in your field of view all the time. Um, it's so cool. And I'm glad you had a great experience. It sounded like you met some really wonderful people. And I love great examples of culture and depth to that culture. And man, I think that wins in this day and age so much more than all this tactical junk that people get dragged into. What? So tell me about um, tell me about David Salyers. That's pretty cool when you get to hear uh, about a Chick-fil-A guy that was there from the very beginning because Chick-fil-A, in terms of culture, is just such an iconic example. So what a great place for him to be talking. I mean, obviously he's preaching to the choir at that point if you got a lot of people that truly believe in culture and the impact of that. But tell me about his presentation and, and what was that like? I, I will. And just one last comment on the Badcock guys. You know, Rob Burnett, um, the president of Badcock, he is not one of the family. There's a lot of family involved. But um, I told him, I said, hey, Rob, I've never been here. I've never been exposed to your group. Um, and I just wanted to tell you with fresh eyes that because um, I always appreciate hearing that from people who haven't been around, like, you know, they've never listened to one of our podcasts or they've never been to a an industry event. I'm always interested to hear what they've seen. Um, and it was like when we were talking about to Rick Anderson, when he first got into the betting industry, like, what were you thinking right at that moment? But so anyway, uh, and I just said in, in, in under one minute of video, when I saw his executive team up there talking about the Southern way, I felt those guys right away. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, they connected to me and, um, I just couldn't believe how cool that was. And I said, I hope you guys are telling that exact story in your advertising. You and I talk about it all the time, how people need to be sure that they're connecting to the consumers in their market. And, and I'm, I'm not sure, I haven't seen a lot of their advertising, but my hope for them is that they are, because if they're doing that, I promise you, they will stand head and shoulders above a lot of the people in their markets. But so anyway, so that's those guys. Um, and then I, I can tell you, um, the Chick-fil-A guy was unbelievable. So, um, Mr. Salyer, um, I couldn't believe um, the stories he told. And he really went back to the very beginning and talked about um, what he was doing um, when they first got started. And he, he started to uh, grow them into where they had 2,300 stores. And these guys, you talk about culture. Do you know how much crap these guys must have been given for um, not being open on Sundays? I mean, how how often have you tried to go to a Chick-fil-A and not been able to go because they're closed on Sundays? Uh, I've had it happen at least four times that come to memory. Yeah, and, and it's frustrating, right? A little bit. And then you're like, well, I can get it later this week. I mean, it really does create a little bit of demand in your mind. I'm like, oh, it sounded so good right now. And it reminded you of how, of how good it sounded and how convenient it would have been. And then that's taken away. And, and you remind yourself, I have to get it the other six days a week. Yeah. So, so, so think about this. The, the people who say, we're not going to um, stay close Sundays. We're going to start opening on Sundays. And by, by the way, Badcock. Some of their stores are closed Sundays, too. And for the very same reason, when we make family first, right? And so what is the first thing that's going to happen when you say to people, oh, no, we're not going to open on Sundays anymore. We're going to shut down on Sundays. That's for family. The very first thing that's going to happen is someone's going to say, okay, but do you realize how much money 
we're leaving on the table if we close our business on Sunday, right? Isn't that what you would think right away? I think that's what a lot of people would think. So let me hit you with something here. McDonald's Corporation, as big as they are, um, the statistic I saw was that their average store does two, a little bit over 2 million, 2.2 million per unit, right? Average Chick-fil-A store does over $5.5 million and they're closed 52 days out of the year. And they still double McDonald's store averages and they're still closed 52 days out of the year. That's Can painful you that? for McDonald's. No, I mean, that's I mean, it's 2.2 million for any store. I mean, it's fantastic volume. I mean, give them credit, right? But the fact that, you know, Chick-fil-A, so is it going to cost us business? Clearly it does not. Um, and so anyway, I loved when he said that because you just know that in, in, in Kinsley, so it goes to really what one of their foundational elements is at Chick-fil-A is that it's not necessarily about money for them. It is about purpose. And he made a quote um, from Jim Collins, and I want you to react to this. You've read the book, Good to Great, right? I can't believe it's Sarah Bergman. Sarah Bergman, what's going on? Believe it. Hi. Well, believe it, because I'm here, y'all. Here we are. I love it. So, um, hey, I want to talk to you. Um, I was um, with a retailer recently, and they were complaining about some of the stuff they had in terms of a pillow program. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it in their store and I'm thinking to myself, they really need to talk to you guys because it looked like someone had just come in and threw, threw a fixture in their store and just put stuff on it. And one of the things I think that's so important about what you guys do is that you come in and you work with your new partners and you customize solutions for them because the fact of the matter is not there isn't a single retail store concept that is the same as the next. I mean, there might be similarities, but I love that you guys take the time to go in, ask the right questions, create customized, you know, product solutions for them, first of all. And then secondly, the training. And that's such a big part of it is helping them understand the process of selling it to consumers. So can you tell us a little bit more um, about that and why that has been a big part of your success? Yeah. For sure. And I'm going to start actually with, I think, where that comes from and the foundation of our culture, because, um, you know, the people who own and run this company and have the Bergmans and the Hirschbans, they all come from years of retail experience. So this isn't a group of people who um, have never worked a day of retail in their lives and are interested in just building sleep products. We are building products and building relationships based off of what has been ultra successful in retail in the past for us personally. So, you know, I think it it kind of starts from the top and it trickles down. Um, and I think the other important thing that we throw around a lot, kind of a saying, is that it's essential to us that all ships sail in the same direction. And so what that means to us is that the work that goes into a program with a retailer, either existing or brand new to us, that preliminary work, those conversations about, talk to us about your your current selling processes, talk to us about what your training team does today, 
really understanding what they do and what has worked for them and consequently what hasn't worked for them allows us to select the right products, uh, input the right people, um, create products when needed, develop private labels. All of those things come from those initial conversations of really understanding the retailer themselves. So I appreciate all of your kind words on that. And we work incredibly hard to make that happen for every single retailer we work with. So that's that's why I'm I'm so exhausted all the time, Mark. You know, it's a worthy cause, but uh, yeah. I totally get it. And let me tell you, it's one of the reasons that Kinsley and I love you and love Sean and Jeff and the Hirschmans and all those guys because, and my sister, because she's part of it. Yes, yeah, she is. Because you guys have purpose and you genuinely want the people doing business with you to succeed and it shows and I love that about you guys. So hey, thanks a bunch. Love the tips. You guys, if you uh, have not already checked out Pure Care stuff, go to it right now, purecare.com. Go there. Bye, Sarah. Bye. Good to Great is like one of the best business books I've ever read, but... Anyway, so it goes back to Jim Collins' quote, which I think is really cool, which says this. True greatness comes in direct proportion to a passionate pursuit of purpose beyond money, right? And so when you hear them talk about purpose beyond money, I'm telling you, as far as culture goes, these guys live it. And um, so when you start talking about it, um, he he started talking about Chick-fil-A. It's not just a place to eat, right? He made a comment that 80% of what they do, everyone else does in the restaurant business. They clean tables the same. They cook food. They serve food. They make food. They clean their restaurants. They clean their parking lots. They clean their restrooms. Everyone does about 80% of that the same. The big difference is that 20%. And so the question is, what are you doing for everyone listening here? What are you doing with that 20%? Like, what is the intangible there? And he talked a lot about intangibles and the fact that um, to, to really be great in any company, Chick-fil-A understood pretty early on that that 20%, they needed to be very careful with it and drive it and, and, and make sure that the intangibles as it relates to their business were significant enough to make people choose them every day when it came to eating. So talk about culture. Have you ever heard of someone, I mean, pretty strong, don't you think, in terms of their approach to it? What did they say they were doing to cultivate that day in and day out? Because it's something that when you get down to the executional level of creating culture, I mean, culture eats strategy for lunch. We've probably heard that said before. But what, are they, what did they do? Did he give you any of that, like the behind the scenes implementation ideas of what they did to create that culture? Well, some of that, but I think really a, a big part of it for them is foundational, right? It's just the mindset that they go into their business with. And one of the quotes I wrote down that I absolutely loved, and he said it was really one for, uh, from one of their franchise owners, um, which by the way, did you know with Chick-fil-A that you don't get to go into a market like Houston, Texas and open 15 Chick-fil-A's, you get one. And they don't let you open a chain because they believe that every owner of every store needs to work in the business, not on the business, in the business. They need to be in the community. They need to know the local Little League teams. They need to know the teachers and the administrators of schools. 
they need to be involved in that community. And if you have five of them, you can't be involved in all five. So I thought that was a really cool approach to franchising anyway. But the other part of it is, you know, what are we here for? Right. So he is a faith based organization um, and they they believe that that is a big part of who they are and why they are. And one of the one of the owners gave him this quote in terms of what do I do? I'm a Chick-fil-A owner. But are you so what do you sell chicken? Nope. This is how he viewed his position in life and his store. He said, I'm a leadership academy masquerading as a fast food restaurant. So the purpose for this guy, yep, serve food, make money, all that's true. But he looked at it, and I and I look at the store in Joplin, Missouri, which, by the way, as you know, is the number one Chick-fil-A store in all the country, um, as I understand it. And the young people they have working in that store, how polite they are, how buttoned up they are, how incredible they are at understanding how to serve people. Um, I get it. I completely get it. And the, the neat thing is it absolutely shows in their execution of their business plan. It reminds me of John Wooden. So John Wooden, UCLA Bruins basketball coach. Oh, yeah. Um, widely considered you know, the most successful basketball coach and number one coach, period, in, in history by many publications and media outlets. And I mean, he just worked on making people better human beings. That's what he focused on first, instead of dribbling a basketball, making passes. Like one of the things he said was, hey, whenever you get the assist, the person that makes the basket, I want a nod, I want a wink, I want recognition to the guy that gave the assist. And it was all about just making people grateful and giving. He said that, you know, every day needs to be made your masterpiece. And the only way to do that is if you do something for someone who can never repay you. So elements like that of making people better human beings, that has to be happening at Chick-fil-A because you're right. Whenever you go to one that's a well-oiled machine, the young people there are remarkable. You're like, do you want to, like, what can I do for you? They're so polite. Yeah, and David Salyers, by the way, by the way I'm glad you, you wrote, you made that comment about being remarkable. David wrote a book, and it's called Remarkable. Uh, you can go buy it on... Amazon, or go check David out at David G. Salyers, S-A-L-Y-E-R-S, so David G. Salyers.com, um, and read about him and um, probably find a good way to buy his book. But um, he talked about being remarkable and making sure your culture is remarkable. And one of the stories he gave me, Kinsley, is they were trying to figure out a way, and I freaking love this story because it is so important because we are such a price-driven industry. And so think about it. You're Chick-fil-A, right? And at one point, you're taking on Burger King and McDonald's and Wendy's, and these guys are banging the hell out of this price drum of 99-cent burgers and 59-cent burgers and free this and free that. And um, so it came to them that there was a kid's meal going on sale um, for 99 cents. And so what I got from David's speech was there was a conversation internally. And of course, the force inside, think about it and relate as it relates to our own industry and retail, right? Someone's saying, well, we got to do it. Think about a free adjustable basis, right? Well, they're giving away free adjustable basis. We got to give away free adjustable basis. Um, they're doing a 99 cent kids meal. We got to give away or sell 99 cent kids meals. And then they said, wait a minute, like that's not what we are. 
And so if we're going to do it differently, like how are we remarkable? How can we be remarkable in our market and, and not do what everyone else is doing? So one of their guys came up with this idea of a daddy daughter date night. Right. And so they brought in um, white tablecloths and had a local florist um, cater it. So there were there were little settings, um, florist settings on um, <laughs> florist settings. I think I mean centerpieces. Uh, on every table. And um, so they had that. They had literally had a strolling violinist come in. Um, they had a local limousine company park his big stretch out in the parking lot and take kids on free rides around the block. Um, they they acknowledged this is the best when you're going to love this idea. They acknowledged that most daddies don't know how to have a conversation with their daughters. Like, what do you have in common with them? Right. So they even created this little questionnaire placemat. So dads, here are six questions to ask your daughters and daughters, here are six questions to ask your dads. And so even gave them a way to navigate the night. And you can look it up on YouTube, uh, daddy daughter date night at Chick-fil-A. And I promise you will shed a tear. It's like really sweet. But anyway, that single idea and concept has grown. And now I believe it's in every store they have. And you talk about, uh, and, and he said, we started getting phone calls. It was so weird from people wanting to volunteer at our restaurant for daddy daughter date night. Um, and um, they were able to collect emails from everyone that came because, and they had a maitre d' at the front of the door taking, they actually took reservations for this night because it was in such demand. And so they got everyone's email. So there you go. Nice little business uh, win there. So you collect the emails from all your customers. Um, and, um, they went on a wait list and they ended up selling out and, and they, I think sell out that night pretty consistently, but volunteer, how many, vol how many times have you volunteered for a for-profit business? Right. And that's what was, that's what was happening for these guys. And so anyway, um, I, what a cool example of taking something that, you know, is, is, is in and of and about your industry and turning that into something way different and remarkable which is really what David's all about. And we talk about that benchmark or that kind of goal of being remarkable. And sometimes we have to stop and say, what does that mean? Well, it really means it's worthy of being repeated without you as a brand prompting it. So somebody who walks away from daddy daughter date night, do you think the little girl is going to tell her friends and her mom and all the family members about her date night with dad? Yup. You think dad's going to talk about it? Yeah, it was such a cool experience and reconnected and we had a way to talk about things because they laid it out for us. What I mean, that would truly make it a remarkable experience. But, you know, I think sometimes we undercut what it takes to make somebody want to mention that experience to other people. And it really takes some thoughtfulness and good for them for, for leading the way on that. And, and eat, go, go through the drive-thru at the, at the Joplin Chick-fil-A. Like you said, it's, uh, by all accounts, the number one volume Chick-fil-A in the country. And even if you go through the drive-thru there, that is a three-lane remarkable experience. Yes, three lanes of drive-thru, by the way. Yeah, you know, yeah no, no doubt. Um, and you made me think of, so Lance Elman, my business partner, and I we were in Vegas at Last Market, and we went to this Michelin star restaurant in Vegas. And it was gorgeous. Um, food, very good, um, not remarkable. Service, 
way underwhelming. And, and at dinner, my comment was the Chick-fil-A in Joplin, Missouri, puts these guys to shame. And this was a Michelin star rated restaurant. So the other thing that made me think about when you were when you were talking was it reminds me of something we say a lot, Kinsley, which is um, and, and you're great reminding me about, which is it's not what we say. Um, it's not what you say to your customers. It's not what you say in your advertising. It's not what you say to your people or when they're in your store. It's how you make them feel. And if you make them feel something, if you make them laugh, if you make them smile, if you give a dad and his daughter a night to remember, even if it's just at a Chick-fil-A, um, you give them a conversation, a memory to have, then you've done something. You've earned something with that that group. And these guys make people feel something amazing, remarkable. And so my hat's off to them. I love it. Very inspiring. Um, and it remind and, and it, he kind of let it out or um, kind of finished up in part with a quote from Truett Cathy. And you know, all these guys in our industry, Kinsley, a lot of people, we all are. You know, how do we grow? You know, what's next? How are we going to grow? It's e-commerce. It's all these things going on. These competitive forces keeping us from realizing, you know, the next step. But here's the funny thing. Um, Truett says, don't worry about getting bigger. Worry about getting better because the bigger part will happen. And so I think it's great advice um, from a true master. You know, I read Truett's book um, and in, in rest in peace, Truett. But when, when he was living, um, I, I read his book. I was so blown away that this guy was willing to share his faith the way that he did in a U.S. business and stand for something and being shut on Sundays and standing up for his families to have time with their families and understanding how important it was. He wrote, so I, I wrote him a letter and I've never written a letter to a celebrity or to a business owner or anything. I've never done that. So I wrote him a letter and he, he wrote me back and he sent me an autographed copy of his book. And I shared that with David uh, during his talk and ask him a question about change and all that. And he, you know what he did? He gave me a free Chick-fil-A sandwich card. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what's funny about that is you're remarking upon it right now. So it must be remarkable. It was remarkable to me that that guy took whatever it took five minutes to take a minute and acknowledge that I had sent him a letter. I don't know how many letters he gets from people, but so anyway, I could geek out on this guy for another hour or so, but, um, I don't know, uh, David Salyer hand, hands, uh, hats off to you, my friend for, uh, representing Chick-fil-A for just being a great leader and an example of leadership to all the people of Badcock. My hats off to Rob and the Badcock team for shining that light into their organization too. And um, I don't know, you guys inspired me a lot. And I, I just feel so grateful uh, to be around people like that because you learn and you grow and you get good ideas. And now here we are, right? That must be uh, David Salyer's calling you to thank you already. Wow. Are we live? <laughs> are we live? Um, no, it just, I don't know, man. And here we are talking about it on our podcast. So David didn't know that um, he was talking at the time to one of the co-hosts of the galaxy's greatest podcast mattress podcast. Um, but now here we are talking about him. So even more people will figure it out. But anyway, I love it. You know, maybe this might be a, I don't know, maybe this could be a closing point for us, but after I read Wooden's book, um, which a friend in the industry gave me, and it was very nice of him to do that. It's filled with 
principles that are timeless and obvious. And it's sometimes when you read through stuff like this, it's like, oh my gosh, I've heard this before. But then you get into the stories about how this person lived out these examples. And, you know, in Wooden's case, it was seven principles that his dad passed down to them, down to him. And they're very simple. You know, some of them are, are based on the Bible. Some of them are just like common folksy wisdom. But whenever you try to live those things out and you're really intentional about it, it's much more difficult than anyone thinks. And that's why it's good to have consistent reminders in your life about living those principles out. Whether you hear it through this podcast or a book, and it might be the same thing that you heard somewhere else, we need those reminders because it's easy to forget and move on and get back into bad habits. But I'll tell you what, whenever you make those principles a habit, then it just has this momentum effect that you don't even have to work on it as much anymore. And, and that's where you know you've gotten to a place that's that's that gives you the ability to really pollinate that into your culture because it's not something you're having to work on anymore. So I love hearing your story about David Salyers and, you know, Rob Burnett and the guys from Badcock and that whole crew. This is, this is a really good reminder for me and, and I hopefully for, for our listeners. You make a great point, Kinsley, and it's pollinating it into your culture, but in, and it's being reminded of it, right? There's not a single thing that you and I probably talk about. I mean, maybe there's some new ideas for people because they're fresh to some, right? But it's not like a lot of what we say in this podcast. We're not like inventing new concepts here, right? We are an aggregator. We are a curator of cool. Is We try to be, right? We find the neat things out there and we try to bring them to our audience. But you know, in this case with David um, and even with Rob and, and, and Greg and Kim and the guys at Badcock, you know, not a lot of what I saw at this thing was like brand new stuff for me. But you know what? It's the people that brought it to me. It's David on that stage. It's him sharing his personal examples of that good leadership stuff coming to life. Um, hearing it told through the lens and the filter of, of Chick-fil-A, who I happen to love anyway. And so, yeah, man, I think it's uh, it's not necessarily new stuff, but boy, oh boy, um, you know, that repetition is the mother of learning and it's great to continue hearing stuff like that. And so for me, they fired me up. I want you all to know you fired me up. And I want to just say again, thank you. And I'll leave you with this last thing, Kinsley. Maybe we can go out on this. Um, one of the things he said up there was for the Chick-fil-A culture and, you know, pushing it down into your organization he said, at Chick-fil-A, we believe the best in each other. We want the best for each other. And we expect the best from each other. And I thought, you know, you live that motto. You live that, uh, that kind of life in your business. And I don't know how you could fail. So That's a great ending point, man. Well, thanks for, thanks for the inspiration from all those folks. And Glad you made the trip, man. And uh, yeah, let's, I mean, there's some stuff on this episode that probably deserves to get tattooed on your shirtless body. <laughs> you had to go back there. I'm sorry. You know what? We'll erase that image from your mind immediately. Go to YouTube and search for Get Hybrid Rap Song, and this is what you're going to find. You can bounce on it. Oh, oh. What is a hybrid? Let's go.
It's like peanut butter jelly, peanut butter chocolate Hybrid so tight, there's no way that you could topple it Hybrid on my wrist, that's a calculator watch We add ourselves together and we take it up a notch Got the airflow, yo, keep you cool as it get Visco foam alone to make you drip sweat Get a hybrid mattress, yes, you'll get better rest Cool and comfortable, hybrid like a sweater vest You know the game, we're ahead of the sun Cause the two of us together are way better than one Cause I'm cool as ice And I'm hot like a heater Bounce by the ounce Now, now we, we got, got it by the leader Well you take a spring and you wrap it up right You can sleep so smooth or bounce all night yeah. Put two together, get a whole lot more Get the feel of the comfort core You can bounce on it Lay back, you don't have to practice It's the best thing to happen to your mattress Get together to do it like I did Everybody get high Want somebody to get in your vicinity You probably wanna feel a little bit of a hybridity Foam alone, out of five, maybe one star Springs and foam, we're taking care of that lumbar Mad back support, the best way to shack up Or just get rest that won't mess your back up Like a hot chick mixed with a particle physicist Throw a mullet, party in the back of the business Best of both worlds like Mars and Venus The ultimate hybrid Keeping it loose while keeping it tight We can make you sleep or play all night Put two together, get a whole lot more Get the feel of a comfort core You can bounce on it No stopping when the beat gets played back Springs keep it popping, foam keeps it laid back Party over here, get invited Everybody get hybrid Listen, doesn't matter if your kitchen is charming When your bedroom's the most important part of the apartment What kind of bed do you keep back there? Does your girl wanna chill on a beanbag chair? Hell no! You need springs and foam Cause if that bowling ball don't bounce You'll be sleeping alone And if the bed don't react Then you can't get low We got that type of bounce That won't spill your Merlot So stick with us and you'll get rewarded Cause I'm so gentle And I'm so supportive is where the magic is And we just killed a song about mattresses